Hey guys, and welcome back to the Continuing the Conversation podcast. I am joined again by my good friend, Catherine Riley. Catherine, how are Hello. you doing? Hello, I am great. How are you doing? You talked a bunch this morning and now you get to talk again. That's right. That's right. And Catherine, word on the street is my friend is going to be a delegate to the General Conference of the Global Methodist Church. Yep, guys, that's the word on the street because I just told him two seconds ago. Yay, Global Methodist Church. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. And somehow you get I'm to excited. go to Costa Rica out of that. Yep, just making sacrifices for the Lord over here. Uh, so, I'm I mean, really, I'm a bit jealous. I'm a bit jealous. So let me say this. This is a really awkward question because it was my sermon this morning, not Carolyn's. Oh, uh-huh. But what were your big takeaways from this morning's sermon? Well, the thing I kept thinking about is I feel like I've had this conversation with you, Christopher, about Abraham and Genesis 12 a lot of times throughout the summer. Hmm. Um, and so I could I could hear parts of our conversation in your sermon, Reading like things through. that you have preached to me in conversation um, coming through in this sermon. So specifically for me, you and I talked a lot about this summer of my own Abrahamic journey, as we hmm. called it. Um, cause I have just been learning how to live a life, you know, 17 hours away from my home and my family, from everything I know, um, both like in the summers when I'm in Georgia and also when I'm in the yeah. middle of nowhere, Kentucky for seminary, yeah. um, yeah. hoping that this really is the thing that God has called me to. <laughs> and yep. the thing that you kept pointing back to every time I had my, oh, I miss, oh, I miss my family moments was the story of Abraham and God's mm. faithfulness and God's provision. And um, Praise God. One, one, one thing that we talked about this summer, and I, I think about now, every time I, I, I think about Abraham's story and God's call in that was the week that God gave me the scripture, Luke 18, 29 mm. to 30. And mm. then he gave you the same scripture to give to me, which was Mm. truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Um, That is the thing that Jesus told his followers. Um, That was the promise that God gave to Abraham. Um, And so I I think my biggest takeaway from the whole message and from all the times that you have in miniature preached it to me, um, is that God is faithful. Um, and he is a provider. He provides, that's not just like the thing he does. That's like who he is. Yeah. It's um, his so nature. We have the ability to trust in that. Yeah. I, I tell you, you know, um, for me, just this idea of, okay, we get to participate in overturning, uh, the curse. We get to mm-hmm. participate in seeing God's blessing restored into the world. That's a big deal because to me, that opens up the picture of what it means. You know, obviously Jesus, when when we get to the gospels, he will tell his disciples, go out, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, drive out demons, and declare the kingdom of God has come near. But here in a in a in this journey, this Abrahamic journey uh, through chapter 12, you see Abraham starting to do this. And Mm -hmm. in a sense, he's not driving out demons. He's not healing the sick, but he is on this journey with God. He is building these altars. God is showing up and speaking to him. 
uh, I think I made the statement in the um, in, in the sermon that he is worshiping God and allowing God's presence to take possession of the land. Right. Um, that's that to me is just a, a beautiful thought for the modern church. Um, that as we worship the Lord, as we exalt His name, He takes authority over the land um, in which we live, um, or, or we invite Him to do that at least. So now we're going to um, kind of bridge the gap between this week's chapter 12 and next week's sermon. And so today we're going to be looking at chapters 13 and 14 um, and just kind of making some observations about what we see there. So um, before I get too far into chapter 13, uh, any particular thoughts, Catherine, on chapter 13 as a whole, things you observed? Um, uh, not specifically on chapter 13, I'll kind of bring up more of what I'm about to say in a moment, but just, um, when I read the old Testament, the main thing I try to focus on is God's character. I mean, really that's the thing we should be focusing on in old and new Testament. Um, but mm. it's helpful for me when I'm reading these stories about, you know, the heroes of the Bible, um, like Noah or Abraham that we've talked about so far to not just look at their actions and think, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, but what is God doing in this story? Um, yeah. What is God like? And what are we learning about God's character through the story? Um, yeah. And I think what you preached this morning, 13 and 14, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, it's just God's provision and faithfulness and trustworthiness. Yeah. So chapter 13, Abraham leaves Egypt. He goes back to the Negev. Uh, and he comes back as a very wealthy man. Uh, chapter or verse two tells us that he has become very wealthy with, in livestock and in silver and in gold. Uh, verse three tells us that Abraham is finally back up to doing the very thing that he should have been doing all along. It <laughs> says from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So again, back to this, this original work of, I'm going to build altars. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God and call on his name. Uh, verses eight through nine, you see that at this point in chapter 13, the, the kind of big thing they're dealing with is lot and Abraham have both become very successful. Uh, they be both become fairly wealthy, and the land simply can't support both of both of them at this point. Uh, Lot has too many too many herds and flocks. So does Abraham that it just can't support both. So they have to go their separate ways. But that brings us to verse eight, where Abram says to Lot, "Let us not have any quarreling between you and me." or between my herder, your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company, and if you go to the left, I'll go to the right, and if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. To me, that just speaks of Abram's confidence in the Lord, that wherever Lot chooses, God will provide in the other direction. Um, I, I don't know about you, Catherine, but to me, this is definitely a different mentality 
than Abram had when there was a famine in the land and he decides to just go to Egypt. Right. It's, it's back to what you, you talked about this in the sermon this morning um, of we can have um, a, a broken world, but we don't have to have broken responses in it. Um, yeah. We don't have to participate in the curse when we have been called by God to be a blessing to all nations or Abraham has been called by God to be a blessing. Um, and so in this moment, Abraham could have chosen scarcity mindset, could have chosen yeah. competition, um, yeah. could have chosen greed um, as I mean, he, Lot is his nephew. He he would have been the, the higher up person in this relationship. He could have been sure. the one to choose the land, but his trust was that God would provide um, no matter what Lot chose. Um, and it was kind of funny. I was like reading different commentaries on this text and one of them suggested, um, well, Abraham was just being passive. He it, His passivity is a problem. He's just letting Lot choose whatever. Um, but but everything else pointed to this as probably a sign of, of Abraham's um, sense of trust in God and knowing that God will provide no matter yeah. um, what the circumstances are. Um, and that even ties into also what you were saying this morning, just about how um, we can have the same behavior, but with different motivations. So like yep. planning can come from either fear or faithfulness. Um, and so I guess some people read this line and think it's passivity. I'm on the side of thinking that um, Abraham is showing trust in the Lord here, but that motivation matters a lot. Yeah, I, I certainly think based on God's response to Abraham, which we're about right. to get into, it sure seems to me that uh, this is a faith-filled response. This is mm -hmm. God will provide whatever way you go, I'll go the opposite way, and I trust God to provide. Um, verse 10, it says that Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar. Uh, he saw that it was well watered, it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So again, you know, kind of speaking of one of those repetitive narratival thoughts is how do we get back to the garden? How, how do we get back to the garden of God's blessing, the garden of Eden? And so he sees land that reminds him of that. Uh, but notice this is not spiritual discernment. He's choosing what looks best on the outside, but he's not spiritually discerning where God would have him go. And verse 13 points out that Sodom is sinning greatly against God. This is certainly setting up the Sodom and Gomorrah theme that we will pick up on in a few chapters. Um, but then God shows up in verse 14. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look, around to where you are, to the north and the south, the east and the west, all the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So, again, there really seems to be God responding to Abraham's confidence as a uh, seem, sure seems to be a positive. It doesn't seem to be po mm -hmm. passivity, as you were saying. It seems to be trust. Um, and then verse 18, Abraham's back at it again. What is he doing? He's living near the trees of Mamre. Um, 
and he pitches a tent and he builds an altar to the Lord. Uh, just, it, it, I would say chapter 13 seems to be a definite positive step after a yeah. tremendously negative step into Egypt. This seems to be a very positive step. Any other thoughts on chapter 13? Nope. Let's keep going. I'm All ready. right. So then you get to what I consider a very confusing chapter in the beginning. Um, you get to chapter 14. Um, and it's a lot of big Hebrew names. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of names, a lot of names. And you notice that there is this battle between these four great kings and five great kings. And the main king seems to be Ketolomar, uh, Ketor Leomar. I don't know. However you pronounce that, Catherine, that's what that is. The king of Elam. And uh, the four kings who's headed up by Big K, we will call him. Like um, they attack uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and a, a few others, and they have victory. And because Lot is next to Sodom, he gets captured in the midst of all of this. And not, not only does he get captured, but all his property does too. So Abram then takes 318 men. And he attacks the four mighty kings and wins. So there is this sense that, man, Abraham is not just learning to exist in the promised land. He's now learning to take authority. Um, and he returns uh, with uh, everything to the king of Sodom uh, in verse 17. Um, I think one of the interesting things, one of the, the softballs that, Sodom and or the, the the biblical writer wants us to get is here is Lot who one chapter earlier he looks to Sodom he sees some place that looks like it will be very beneficial for his herds and livestock and he goes there but because he's not discerning on some level it um all of his stuff gets uh, he gets he gets kidnapped essentially, and all his stuff gets kidnapped with him. Uh, and it's Abraham's faith that winds up restoring everything uh, back to where it was. Um, then you get to verse eighteen. You get to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Catherine, talk to me about Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Um, so this king of Salem brings out bread and wine, and it says that he is the priest of the God Most High. And then he blesses Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Um, so he is is praising God um, for delivering the enemies um, into his hand. Um, yeah. And then Abraham gives him a tenth of of everything that he's, that he's gotten from this um, conquest. Which begins the precedence of the tithe. Right. right. In essence, Abraham is giving a tenth of what he has gotten in the conquest. And, and that, that's a, a symbol of kind of the, the first mention of tithing to God. Um, all right. So interesting things about Melchizedek. His name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And the Bible reports him as the king of Salem, which means peace. So he is the king of righteousness and peace. And he kind of comes out of nowhere. And next thing you know, he's blessing 
Abraham by God Most High. What's interesting, you get to the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews talks about, I think it's Hebrews, it talks about Melchizedek as uh, not having any genealogy. He's mm-hmm. kind of, um, and it talks about how Jesus is from the line of Melchizedek. So the the interesting thing there is many wonder if this is a foreshadowing or if this is a prefiguring of Christ, not a foreshadowing, but, but, but a prefiguring of Christ. Like this is Christ in the Old Testament uh, before he becomes incarnate through the Virgin Mary. Do, do you have any particular thoughts or takes on that? This is the first I'm hearing of that, and I love the theory. I would love hey, to believe that. Is that hey, a fantastic. theophany? Is that the, the fancy word for it? I, I think so. I think that so. you're the seminary student, so you should know these things. You're the seminary graduate. Um, well, okay. it's, it's been so long. Plus, I'm almost 37. Or actually, yeah. no, I'm almost 38. So Brain doesn't work as well. I mean, it's just not quite as young as I used mm-hmm. to be. So, no, here's, I think, the interesting thing with this is Melchizedek is blessing Abraham by God most high. If this is Jesus, Jesus is blessing Abraham by the Father. There is this sense of, uh, you're just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a picture of the Trinity or at least two parts of the Trinity in in, in some ways. Um, Abram is blessed by God Most High, um, by the by the King of Peace, which is the King of Salem, Melchizedek. Uh, he gives Abram Abram gives him a tithe, and as we said earlier, and then the King of Sodom basically says, you know, you can keep all your keep all the the things you've uh, gained. Um, but just give me back my people. And Abram makes a very interesting statement. He said, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Wow. What an interesting thought. It's so counter. Think... Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, 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 no. You go for it. I was just thinking it's so it's it's not just like the bare minimum of um, I mean, he 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 had permission from the king of Sodom to take the items. He could have done that. It wouldn't have been wrong. But he goes this so like counterintuitive route of, yeah, even though it wouldn't be necessarily wrong for me to take these things that I have one victory over, I am so trusting of my God to provide, so believing in his provision that I don't even need what you have off, have to offer me. Um, yeah. it, I mean, it is him fully relying on the king of creation rather than whatever the king of Sodom thinks that he can give him. That's really good. That's really good. And I tell you, you think about, think about the importance in the biblical narrative here. Abram may not understand why God would tell him except nothing from the king of Sodom. But think about where this would be a few chapters later. Mm-hmm. A few chapters later, we find out that, I mean, all kinds of craziness is going on in Sodom. And Abraham 
what if he had gotten rich from the people of Sodom? What if, what if he had um, had, or at least gotten richer because of the people of Sodom? He would have been benefiting off of a system that was incredibly immoral and corrupt. That's God has no interest in His people benefiting right. from systems uh, that are immoral and corrupt. That's or that's not that's not God's plan A. Um, so I just I love the fact that Abraham's obedience, whether he understands it or not, give it a give it a few years, and you begin to understand why this is. Oh man, I'm so glad I didn't take money from that crowd. Uh, that you know. Don't want, don't want to, uh, do not want to benefit off of evil behavior. All right. Okay. So let's get to a couple of questions. How does this foreshadow Jesus? Like how in, in these two chapters, where do you see Jesus foreshadowed? And obviously we just talked about Melchizedek. Anything else that you feel like reveals Jesus? Um, I think whenever I'm kind of looking at the biblical narrative and um I I and like pointing towards Jesus, I keep thinking about uh Epic of Eden and Sandra Richter talking about people, place, and presence. Mm-hmm. Um that was God's promise to Abraham. And then you see it woven through the entire biblical narrative. Um, I'm gonna give you a people, I'm gonna give you a promised land, a place, and my presence is gonna be with you. Um, yep. land descendants and a relationship with me. Um, yep. and we, we see it in these chapters 12 and 13 and 14, God makes the promise. Um, he, you know, is, he promises it again in 13 when Abraham takes his leap of faith. Um, we, you know, see Abraham talking about it again in 14 of, you know, God is going to provide for me. I don't need you to, um, but ultimately we know that um the promise to abraham is a kind of promise for us also um yep. except instead of you know for abraham it was you know it was him and his nation and his family but for us um we have the presence of god with us um one day we know that you know in revelation i guess 21 god will dwell with us he will be with us there will be no more crying or pain or death um and that is the ultimate promised land that we're waiting to when we have yeah. the full presence of god with us the full kingdom of god with us and all of that is only possible because of jesus um the kingdom of god fully realized is made it's only possible because of King Jesus stepping down to earth um, thousands of years after this narrative first happens. That's good. That's good. When, when I think about how Christ is foreshadowed, I think about those two names of Melchizedek, uh, the, the fact that the name of Melchizedek is King of Righteousness, the fact that King of Salem means King of Peace. So you get King of Righteousness and Peace. It reminds me of that uh, Psalm 88 or 89, maybe, where it says righteousness and peace kiss. The the idea is that in Jesus, suddenly the righteousness of God and the mercy of God and the peace of God can somehow come together. They can somehow coexist in the person of, 
of Jesus. And, and I, as I was talking about this morning in the sermon, that God is interested in us having both his love and his holiness. Right. It's, it, 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 they're not, they're not opposites. They're just two sides of the same coin. So in, in this person of Melchizedek, you see a king who embodies both God's righteousness and his mercy or peace. That's Jesus. Or at least, you know, whether Melchizedek was actually Jesus or not, we know that that's what Jesus brought was both uh, a righteousness and a mercy uh, of God. So how do these chapters reveal the gospel? If we're thinking about them on a higher level, how do these chapters reveal the gospel? Um, so in the book of Matthew, whenever Jesus talks about the gospel, he talks about it as the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then in the book of Acts, every time um, someone gets up to start preaching and they say, you know, this is the gospel, um, they talk about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future return of Jesus. Yeah. So the the gospel is about the king and is about his kingdom. And it's it's not just about what Jesus has done for us, but mm-hmm. the content of the gospel is who Jesus is. Yeah. And um he is he is the king um and he is bringing the kingdom and like I said earlier we we start that in these chapters. Um the the promise of people place and presence begins in Genesis 12. Um, we see the faithfulness in 13 and 14. Um, and then because of Jesus, we are brought in as heirs to this promise so that it's not just Abraham's biological descendants that benefit from this promise, um, but it's his spiritual family. Um, everyone who has been adopted um, into the family by God, um, that's made possible through Jesus. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's where I think we see it most is just the kingdom of God, uh, beginning in these chapters. Um, so to me, how these chapters reveal the gospel is this idea that, uh, and, and I think it probably comes back to what you're talking about in the sense of, okay, Abram, is building altars. He is worshiping God. God's presence is with him. And God's presence is empowering him to defeat the strongest armies in this area. So the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us, who is empowering us to, uh, to, to live out of his strength. Also, Things done by the power of God ultimately lead to the worship of God. You know, it leads to Abram coming to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessing him uh, in the name of God Most High. So, uh, yeah, that kind of, um, I don't know, it just, as I was talking about this morning in uh, Genesis 12, you certainly see it in 13, and I think you see it in 14, this idea that when we worship God, when we exalt God's name, we are inviting his presence to um, to, to manifest and to, to have authority in the earth. 
And that is, that is a gospel of the kingdom. That is not a gospel of simply individual salvation. Individual yeah. salvation is a part of it, but it's much bigger than that. Um, so, all right, you're sitting down in a coffee shop. You are reading through these two chapters, 13 and 14, with someone. And in a broken world, how would you use these passages to help people become whole through Jesus? I would always be pointing back to the character of God. Um, whatever scripture you read, um, God's character is always revealed in it. And in these passages, we see that God keeps his promises. God can be relied on. It's safe to be dependent on God and God is worthy of our trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we see that when Abraham trusts God, will provide for his family, no matter which land Lot chooses to take. Um, and then he also... Sh- he says that um, he will trust God to provide, even if he doesn't take what he could have um, from the king who offered it. Um, Abraham shows his trust in God, even before he has seen God fulfill those promises. And we, um, as the ones getting to, you know, read the scripture, we we know how it plays out. We know how God um, does end up giving Abraham that that family and the nation Um and even tenfold because then he ends up the the church is part of that family descendants too. Um, so we know that God is trustworthy. We see that yeah. on every page of this. Um, and we know that God is provider. Um, so this truth about God, that God is trustworthy and God provides, it frees us from the brokenness of this world. Um, so in a broken world, we still have the choice to trust God and trust in his provision in a broken world we don't have to respond in broken ways so we could choose self-protection scarcity mindset a competitive view of life or as we see abraham model well in these chapters forget about chapter 12 but in these chapters we see him show generosity um and um just real graciousness towards lot um and we we see that his trust in God is what enables and empowers him to not live in broken ways, despite the broken world around him. That's good. That's good. That's good. I love that phrase in a broken world. We don't have to respond in broken ways. Is that how you, is that how you, phrase sure. That? that sounds good. Use yeah. That. Yeah. No, it's just really, uh, that's, that's insightful. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I would invite somebody to see is, you're not defined by your last bad decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you will have to endure some consequences for the last bad decision. Uh, the last half of chapter 12 is. Um, Could you just remind people what Abraham did again? Okay. Yeah. He. Because um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. he's There's a famine in the lands. He doesn't know what to do. But instead of building an altar and crying out to the Lord, he decides to go down to Egypt and uh, where there's a lot better water supply. And uh, so anyway, he takes his whole camp down there. And then his wife must have been particularly beautiful uh, because he said, look, when we go into this land, just tell them you're my sister so that they won't kill me. And that's what she does. And sure enough, Pharaoh takes her into his palace, makes her his wife. But the Lord pours out curses 
or pours out curses, pours out diseases on the Egyptians. And uh, essentially what happens is Pharaoh finally gets wise. Hey, this wasn't just his sister. This was his wife. Uh, and he gives Abraham his wife back and sends him off with lots of possessions. But in, that's the father uh, of our faith, everybody. Yeah, there it is. And uh, Tremper Longman talks about how essentially Abraham functioned as Sarah's pimp. He just, yeah. you know, uh, and, I mean, it's really, it, you begin to think about, okay, well, he's using her to uh, protect himself. Uh, may, maybe pimp is a strong word, but bottom line is. It's he thinks really, he's acting out of self-protection and fear. Yeah acting out of self-protection and fear. So um, that was a really bad second half of a chapter of Abraham's life. But chapters 13 and 14, man, he's on the comeback trail because he's learning to trust God again. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, he's functioning with authority out of that trust. And so mm -hmm. I think, I think there's so much to be said for in uh, we say it all the time at Mosaic, begin again. Um, you know, God is the God of second chances and of eighth and ninth chances. So and he uses them. He, Abraham uses them. He uses them and they bear good fruit. So grateful for that. Friends, thank you for joining us. Uh, we will continue to walk through the book of Genesis. And we're just so grateful to have you on the journey with us. Be blessed.